Once upon a time and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. I will take you to long ago and far away and bring you back safely. Well, at least episode 9A will. These are fairy tales you think you know, you probably have heard, but not in this way. This is a family-friendly episode for ears of all ages and features three, yes, three stories. The first story for the podcast is 12 Dancing Princesses, but unless you were in the crowd when this was recorded, I doubt you've heard the version beautifully brought to life by Megan Hicks. So prepare to follow the princesses into the night to dance their slippers to tatters. Thank you all so much for coming today. There was a king of old who had 12 daughters. Some of them were as fair as sunlight on the meadow, some as dark as moonlight in the forest, and all of them were beautiful. And because he wanted to keep their beauty for himself alone, the king insisted that every night his daughters sleep together in one long stone chamber whose door and window were closely barred and locked. In spite of this, every year at springtime, when the stars and the storms of winter were done and the little cuckoo sang again, every morning the soles of the princess's shoes were found to be worn to shreds, as if somebody had been dancing in them all night long. When news of this was brought to the king, he marveled. Unless his daughters had wings to fly, where did they go at night? The window was barred. The door, there was neither crack nor cranny in it. He spied. He sat watch. He grew moody and morose. And finally, he sent out a decree. He said that any man who by wit or by magic, by wisdom or by luck, could figure out where his daughters went at night and what happened to their shoes, that man could have his choice of which princess he would marry and stood one day maybe to inherit half the kingdom. But any man foolish enough to try and fail, he would be beaten three times round the kingdom and he stood in danger of losing his ears. Well, many high-born noblemen's son came to try and solve the mystery. All of them left badly beaten, and some of them left without their ears. Now, it happened that one day, coming home from the wars, there was an old soldier walking along the forest path that ran behind that king's kingdom. And on the path, he met an old woman and her pig. She had brought the pig to the forest to feed on beech mast and truffles. The day was growing late, though. The shadows were growing long. She needed to catch the pig and bring it home, but the pig would not be caught. He would let her approach to within an inch of his neck with that collar and leash, and then he would jump up and run across the road with a squeal as if he were playing a game. Well, the old soldier watched for a few moments. Finally, he said, uh, Granny, begging your pardon, but I know a thing or two about pigs. I can help you catch that one, if you'd let me. She said nothing, but she stood aside and she watched. As the soldier pulled from his rucksack a gnarled piece of root shaped like a hand, and he broke a finger off of that root, put it between his teeth. 
Then he turned around, spread his legs, bent over, and regarded the pig soberly upside down from between his legs. Now the pig cocked its head, curious, and it got closer and closer and closer to the soldier until he was close enough that the soldiers could scissor his legs around the pig's middle. He slapped the collar on, he handed the end of the leash to the old woman. He said, there you go, Granny, with my compliments. You'll be wanting a bit of this, too. And he broke off another finger of the root. He said, there's not a pig in Christendom can resist the smell of this root. You'll have no more trouble catching yours from now on. And then he turned to leave. But the old woman called him back and and started questioning him, who he was, where he was going, what he was about on this road. He said, well, Granny, (laughs) as you can see, I'm a soldier. The war is over. I'm going home. Although what I'm going home to, (laughs) I couldn't tell you. I never married, so I know I have no wife nor children waiting for me, and I'm sure by now all my friends have died or moved on. And you know, there's one thing I'm mortal curious about, Granny, before I leave this place. They say any man can figure out where the daughters of the mad old king who lives yonder go at night. That man might marry a princess and stands to become very wealthy. And then he laughed to think how ridiculous it would be for him to solve that mystery. But the old woman said, oh, it's not as difficult as you might think, provided you do exactly as I tell you to do. He leaned in closer, and she said, now, you'll be set to watch the princesses. When that happens, be sure that you take not a drop of the wine nor eat a crumb of the cake that they will offer you. Wake, watch, go where you are led, and you will be needing this. She reached into her apron pocket and she withdrew a tiny, tiny little shawl, so finely spun it could have been made of spider web. She said, put this across your shoulders and you will be invisible to one and all. He took it, he held it up, he said, will this hide me? Big boots, brass buttons and all? She said, aye, that it will. And then she turned without another word and went on her way. But before they turned the corner... The old man saw that pig look over its shoulder back at him. It winked and grinned. (laughs) Well, now when the old soldier came before the king, the king said, well, all right, the terms of the decree apply to you as much as they apply to any nobleman. Find out where my daughters go at night, what happens to their shoes, and you shall have the reward. Ah, but if you fail. Well, the old soldier was not afraid, so... He was set to watch. He was set to watch in a little stone chamber right next to the wall of the chamber where the princesses slept that night. And there he sat on his cot, mending his boot with the sharp point of his awl by the light of a candle, when the eldest princess came to the door with a tray of refreshment for him. She welcomed him. She said if there was anything she could get for his comfort, she would be happy to, wished him a pleasant night's sleep. He thanked her graciously, put the tray on a little bedside table, and as soon as she was gone, he took that wine and he dripped it drop by drop by drop by drop between the stones on the floor. He took that cake and he crumbled it into tiny little crumbs and left it all around the edge of the room and in the corners for the mice. Then he blew out his candle. He lay down on his cot 
and he began to snore, loud, thunderous snores. But his eyes were open, and he was hard at work. With the point of his awl, he was scraping away the mortar between two stones in the wall that his chamber shared with theirs. And when he got a crack that he could see through, he lay down again and snored. At the stroke of midnight, a little owl hooted three times. He heard a rustling, activity going in that room, and, and he looked through that crack he had made, and it was amazing. The princesses had dressed themselves all in, in gowns so festive, so wonderful, so beautifully designed. Human hand could not have made them. They were decorating themselves with necklaces, earrings. They were piling up their hair. They were all in great high spirits, except the youngest princess, who was sitting on the edge of her bed, still in her nightdress. And her eldest sister said, Sister, come, 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 get ready. The others are waiting. Oh, sister, she said, I am afraid. You know, that old man they set to watch for us, he's not like the foolish young men who have come before him. That old soldier has seen a thing or two. He knows the ways of the world. Sisters, I'm afraid. Oh, you goose, said the eldest. Listen to him snoring. He drank the wine, he ate the cake, he'll know nothing till morning, just like all the rest. Reluctantly, the youngest got up, she dressed herself, and when they were all ready, the old soldiers saw that they gathered in a circle. The eldest clapped her hands three times, and if by magic, a stone from the floor lifted and pivoted, revealing a staircase that went down, 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 deep into the ground. One by one, the sisters descended from eldest to the youngest. And quickly, the old soldier put on his boots and he threw that little shawl over his shoulders. He looked down to see himself disappear. He lifted the bar off the door and he followed the youngest princess down the stairs. But in his haste, he stepped on the hem of her dress. And she said, sisters, sisters, someone pulled on my dress. We're being followed. From the bottom of the stairs, the eldest called up, you caught your hem on a nail. Don't be so clumsy. The soldier followed them down the stairs, and the stairs led out into a forest where all the trees hung with leaves of silver. And that forest led into a forest where all the trees hung with leaves of gold, and the path led through that forest to a third where the trees hung with ripe fruit, and the fruit was precious gems. And then the path led out onto a beach. And there along the strand were 12 swan-shaped boats, and beside each boat was a prince, waiting, delighted to see his princess appear. They helped the princesses into the boats and started rowing across the lake to where a huge castle on an island was lit from top to bottom. Now the old soldier jumped into the boat of the youngest princess, and though he was invisible, he was not weightless. And the boat listed in the water... And her prince rode hard and sweated. And he said, why is it so difficult tonight? The youngest princess looked to where the boat was listing in the water. And though she saw only the horizon beyond, she was looking right into the old soldier's eyes. He smiled at her. And for a reason she could not fathom, her heart was set to rest. She told her prince... Don't worry, we'll get there in time. And when they did arrive, 
There in a courtyard lit with torches to the music of fountain and timbrel and harp and birds singing, the young people danced and never had the soldiers seen people dance so gracefully and never had he seen them dance so tirelessly. They danced all night long without a break until they saw a pink line rim the horizon, and then they rushed of one accord down to the beach, re-entered the boats, rowed back across, rushed through the forests and up the stairs. The old soldier ran on ahead of them, lay the bar across the door just as the eldest princess ascended back into the room. He ran around and got on his bed, and he waited until all grew quiet in the princess's room, and then he peered through that crack one more time. And there were their heads all upon the pillows. There was their hair splayed out. There was a flush of sleep on their cheeks that made them look as though they hadn't moved for hours. And he thought, did I see what I saw? Or is this just the vain imagining of an old man? And he determined before he would go to the king, he would watch one more night just to make sure. So the second night, he followed the princesses back down the stairs through the three forests across the lake, and he watched them dance, and he returned, and yet still he was not convinced that he had seen what he had seen. A third night, he said, just to make sure. And on the third night, coming back through the forest, he plucked a branch of the silver leaves. He plucked a branch of the golden leaves. He plucked a cluster of fruit of precious gems. And from the banquet table at the castle, he stole a golden goblet. Well, the next morning when he had an audience with the king, he said, Your Majesty, before I tell you what I have to say, I would like to get a promise from you. Indeed, said the king, a promise from me. (laughs) What, What would you have me promise you? Your Majesty... When I tell you what I have to say, I want you to promise me that you will not punish your daughters, that your wrath will not fall upon their heads. He said, I will happily be beaten three times around your kingdom and lose my ears before I become the cause of any distress for any one of your daughters. The king said, well, all right, you have my promise. What do you have to say? And then the soldier, from his rucksack, he took the golden goblet and the precious gems and the golden leaves and the silver leaves. And he told where he had been for the last three nights. And when the king heard of his daughter's deception, he grew red with wrath. And then he remembered the promise he had made. And then he remembered the terms of the decree. And he called his daughters before him, and there they stood in front of him and the old soldier. And he said, all right, soldier, which one of these faithless women will you choose to be your bride? He looked at each young woman in turn, and his most especial gaze fell upon the youngest princess. And then he turned to the king, and he said, well, your majesty, there's this to be said. Not a man in Christendom deserves a woman so fine as any one of your daughters. For me, I've seen the wars. What need have I of marriage? 
But I'll tell you, if it's sons-in-law you're looking for, in that underground kingdom of which I speak, there are 12 young men, noble young men, princely, soldierly young men. If you're looking for sons-in-law, sire, you can't do better than there. Very well, said the king. Well then, how may I thank you for the service you've rendered me here today? What, 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 what can I do? What, what plans do you have for your future that I can aid? And the old man said, well, you know, there was one thing in the decree that, that had me curious, and, and I'm just kind of, I'd love to know what it felt like, if only for a moment, to sit upon a throne. The king said, well, that's easy enough to arrange. <laughs> and he descended the dais. And he took his crown and he put it on the soldier's head. And he took his cape and he wrapped the soldier in it. He gave him his scepter and he helped him up onto the throne. And the soldier looked there out across the court. He looked down at his own withered thighs and he laughed. And what a spectacle he must present to them all. The king said, yes, you see, sitting there, that's the easy part. Staying there, that's where the difficulty lies. And he said, but tell me truly, what may I do for you? What plans have you for your future? I have no plans for my future, said the old man. But at that moment, as if by magic, as if it were standing right there in front of him, he saw a vision of the old woman's pig winking at him and grinning. He said, well, you know, now that I do think of my future, I'm, I'm thinking of pigs. <laughs> pigs, said the king. Pigs, said the old man. All right, then pigs you shall have, said the king. And he called for 60 of the healthiest, liveliest, prettiest pigs in all of his herd to be called out for the old soldier and two young men to herd them. Not only that, but he had seven suits of clothes made, gave him three chests of gold. And three days later, when the soldier left that kingdom, riding on a horse with three donkeys behind him, bearing the gifts from the king and the gifts from the princesses and their grateful princes. He reckoned himself a rich man indeed. But of all the treasure he took from the kingdom, the thing he valued most was a tiny pink satin slipper worn to shreds, a gift to him, from the youngest princess. This he kept in his rucksack with his magic bit of root because he knew it was a powerful charm. The second story for this podcast is The Frog Prince. You may be expecting a pretty girl to pucker up and kiss the frog, but for those of you who have not heard the original, well, this ending might hit you harder than you expected. The story is told by Tim Arnetta, a storyteller who hails from the Bay Area in California and seems to know quite a bit about frogs. Once upon a time, in a well beneath a lime tree, there lived a handsome frog. But not just any handsome frog, the most handsome frog in the world. 
It was said that he was so handsome that the flies themselves would buzz down out of the sky to marvel at what a magnificent-looking creature he was. Of course, in doing so, they'd meet a sticky end in his stomach. After all, he was still a frog. He liked eating flies. The frog was not only handsome. He was kind, considerate, well-mannered, well-spoken. In fact, he was a remarkable specimen of frog. Now, there was, near this very same well, a castle. And in the castle lived a princess. She was gorgeous. She was beautiful. She was clumsy as anything. And one day she tripped on the root of the lime tree and let slip from her fingers her most prized possession. A golden ball. It was a family heirloom. And with a gentle plop, it hit the water and sank to the bottom of the well. Well, that's when the weeping began, and the sobbing and the moaning. And our frog was kind-hearted, and he offered to help. And so the princess, she offered him everything, anything, if he would get the ball back for her. But the frog said this to her, I do not care for your crown, nor your jewels, nor your fancy clothes. But if you could love me for who I am, and let me sit by you at table, and eat from your plate, and drink from your cup, and sleep by you in your bed, then I will go down below and fetch your ball back. Well, the princess agrees, and the frog has no trouble retrieving the ball, but as soon as it's back in her hands, she's gone, back to her castle, apparently all promises forgotten. And our frog is a little surprised. He thinks maybe it's harder to impress a princess than it is a common fly. But he's undaunted. And so he hops up the path to the castle. He knocks on the door, explains the situation, and thanks to an understanding father, he is shown in and brought to the dinner table as an honored guest. He's placed on the table next to the princess, where he can eat from her plate, and drink from her cup. And by now, she is, of course, totally disgusted. And so she flees to the sanctuary of her bedroom. But, as her father is fond of saying, that which is promised must be performed. And so he has the servants bring the frog into her room, place him on her pillow, and then withdraw, leaving the two of them alone together. The princess stares at the frog on her pillow for a long time, and then, finally, she moves closer, reaches out a trembling hand, and for the first time, they touch. As she lifts his delicate body off the pillow, brings him up to eye level. And then, with all her might, flings him against the nearest wall. Now, in the instant and a half of unencumbered flight between the time he leaves her fingers and hits that wall, our frog has an epiphany about the way the world works. And it is this thought that comes to him. You know, you might be the most handsome frog in the world, 
the world is still going to treat you like a frog. With a sickening smack, he hits that wall and slides down to the floor. But it is the long, lanky body of a young prince lying there, a young prince with a broken and bloody nose. And the princess rushes over to him and staunches the bleeding, and in that moment she falls in love. Well, now you know how my parents met. And this bit of family history I heard over and over from both of my parents as I was growing up. And I understand why my father shared this story with me. He wanted me to remember the value of keeping my promises. But my mother, I have no idea what she wanted me to learn from this story. After all, she got her happy ending, the man of her dreams, only after she lost a family heirloom and then broke her word and then mistreated a helpless animal. I'm still trying to figure this one out. People ask me if I missed those days of living in the castle with the king and the queen, days when there were witches and ogres around. And I know witches and ogres and even kings and queens are not so common as they once were. That doesn't bother me. But frogs are not so common as they once were. And that's what bothers me. Because a world that loses its kings and queens and witches and ogres, it can still remember them in stories. But a world that loses its frogs, that's a world that may soon be silent altogether. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Helpful Animals Cleaning Service. Are dishes left undone? Are you needing to tidy up after a party before parents or your roommates get home? Looking for help brushing your hair or zipping a pesky zipper? Helpful Animals Cleaning Service, or Hacks, is here for you. Open those windows, sing the catchy tune, and let them in. They'll whistle while they clean, dust, and help you dress with tiny adorable hands and friendly faces. Hacks! Why clean alone when the forest can clean with you? One of those stories that we've all heard in one form or another is the story of Cinderella. I can guarantee that you will hear a few different versions of that story on this podcast. So the last story of this episode is one of the first Cinderella stories that ever appeared in the world and is splendidly told by storyteller Milbury Birch. And fairy tales are also the stuff of fact, because really, what is a folk or a fairy tale except somebody's poetic retelling of a very good or a very bad day? There might have been one such day hundreds of years ago. This is a fact. Rhodopis was her name. She was a Greek slave, and yet she ended her life the wife of the king of Egypt. She ruled with him and slept for eternity with him in a pyramid. This is a fact. It was written down by a historian called Strabo in the first century before the Common Era. That story is told to us with one other little detail. 
which has stayed to resonate in story after story after story. Do you know how they met? A bird dropped her shoe into his lap. How unlikely, how remarkable, how worth writing down and talking about. Shirley Klimo has written a version of the story. She calls hers the Egyptian Cinderella. I shall tell you my own version of it. Rhodopis, it means rosy-cheeked, and she was, or sunburned. For she was a Greek living underneath the hot Egyptian sun. She had been kidnapped by pirates and sold into slavery. Do you know that she lived and worked in a household with a man who was a storyteller? We remember his name too, Aesop. But she was sold when she grew to be a lovely young woman in a town full of Greeks in Egypt. And there, when they placed her on the auction block, she caught the eye of an old man. He was the brother of a poet named Sappho. And he, Caraxes, bought that lovely girl and took her home. Now, did he mistreat her? We like our stories where beautiful girls are mistreated. I don't know. I wasn't there. Perhaps he did. How can you own someone else without being said to mistreat them? But he also gave her a gift, two shoes. They were made of Egyptian gold with iron mixed in, and they became a rosy red color. And these were her gift, two beautiful golden shoes. Perhaps she wore them when her work was done. Perhaps she walked by the river in them and imagined walking on her own two feet away from that place out into her own life. But it was said that one day, as she sat in the yard, the shoes beside her, perhaps that she might dangle her feet in the River Nile. Something came on wings. Was it a falcon? Was it an eagle? Was it the god Horus himself? It came circling out of the sky, swooping down and snatched up one of those shoes and then flew out over the river, headed toward the city of Memphis. What did she think when she saw it go? How useless is one shoe? Perhaps she cried out, stop. It is the only thing that is mine. But the bird winged its way to the city and over the open courts of the king. The pharaoh sat upon a throne was he judging a dispute? Was he overseeing a festival? We do not know. But the bird came out of the sky, down, down over his head. Was it a bird, an eagle, a falcon? Was it the god Horus himself? 
It opened its talons and dropped the shoe. And to the astonishment of the pharaoh, he found himself holding a rosy golden slipper. It's not every day that heaven gives you a sign. Perhaps it was that moment that he got up. Perhaps it was then that he ordered his servants to make ready the boat. Perhaps he stepped into it himself and they rowed him back in the direction the bird was said to have come. Did he stop at every dock along the way? Did he show the slipper to every household? Did he ask, did this come from you? Do you have the other? I don't know. But it is said that at last he arrived at that dock where perhaps Rodopus still knelt beside the second shoe. The Pharaoh himself, can you see him? Stepping out of the boat, walking toward her with the slipper, seeing the other by her side, offering it back to her. Two shoes. Now you can walk in two shoes. You can walk out into your own life in two shoes. You can stand on your own feet. She knelt there, Rodopus, rosy-cheeked. She knelt there as a slave. But that day, when she stood up, she was a queen. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show notes and more information about the storytellers you heard today can be found at storystorypodcast.com forward slash episode nine. Show the love. Find Megan Hicks, Tim Araneta, and Mailbury Birch on Facebook. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now you want to hear them tell more stories. If you want to support this podcast, you can do that and get an extra story per podcast. The bonus story for the patrons for episode 9A is another Cinderella story from Millbury Burt. You can find those options at storystorypodcast.com. And I want to say thank you to our three supporters on Patreon. You know who you are. I know who you are. And I really appreciate you. If you'd like to stay connected or offer feedback, you can find me in the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, or join the mailing list. You can leave a rating and comment on iTunes or however else you listen. This helps other people find the stories and is so appreciated. Let us know your favorite story that you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. I'll be back with stories soon, and I hope you'll join me again. And until then, live happily ever after.